This is the Business Storytelling Show, a top global marketing podcast listened to in more than 100 countries, live streamed on social media, and broadcast on DBTV. Christoph Trapp chats with industry leaders to help your company tell better business stories. Here's today's episode. Hey, business storytellers, Christoph Trapp here, your host and author of Content Performance Culture. How's everyone doing? Episode 255 on deck. Uh, today we're talking about conversion rate optimization. So what does that mean uh, and how does it help us uh, increase the profitability of our website? Certainly we all want to do that. Um, you know, just a friendly reminder. To do that, you have to actually get people to come to your website. But once you have them on your website, why not um, optimize your uh, your site, your your land, so to speak, for better conversions. Today's guest, I ran across him on Twitter, I believe, Chris Daly. He's the owner of Smart CRO, neuromarketer, A-B tester. Um, I have some questions about A-B testing as well. We'll get there at some point, perhaps. Smart-CRO.com is his website if you want to check it out. Let's bring him on the show here. Chris, how's it going today? It's going great. I'm excited to be here. Really, uh, really happy we connected. Uh, always, always great to um, get people on the show who are already sharing good content across the interwebs. Um, so let's talk about um, smart conversion rate optimization. I mean, I know everybody always says, oh, everybody knows what everything means, but not everybody knows everything, right? So let's start right there. What's, uh, what does it mean? Why should people care? So let me let me just start with a quick story of how I got into conversion rate optimization, which I think answers the question as well. Um, I have been a, I'm a longtime digital marketer. I've been a digital marketer since uh, 2009, um, and back then I was doing search engine optimization (SEO), uh, which is all about getting traffic to your website. And for anyone who's done any kind of traffic acquisition, whether it's SEO or PPC, um, they probably had a similar experience to me, but I was working in-house for a company and we had tremendous success. We tripled our organic traffic in like a six month time frame, which was fairly easy to do back in 2010, not quite so easy to do now. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a, a huge increase of organic traffic, but as we started to dig into how much business that was generating for us, it uh, became obvious very quickly that we did not triple our number of conversions. In fact, we didn't even really increase our number of conversions. And so then, of course, the question is, well, why? You know, why are we driving so much more traffic and we're not driving uh, an equal amount more revenue? And as I started asking around, you know, my mind went where most business owners or marketers' minds first go. There must be a problem with the design. So I go and ask our design team. What's going on with the design? And of course, the design team responds with one of two things. The, you know, my design team responded with the first, which is there's nothing wrong with the design. It looks great. Or the other thing design teams will respond with is, oh, yeah, we need to update the whole thing. Let's do a big, huge redesign. Uh, they didn't respond with that one. Um, but that's a very common response that I get. So, OK, it's not a design problem, obviously. Um, you know, maybe it is. But. As far as the design team was telling me, it wasn't a design problem. So then I go to our developers. What's wrong with our site? Is it broken? They go, no, we have 99% uptime. It's not broken. So 
really nobody could tell me why our why our site wasn't converting. Of course, everyone points the finger back at me, which is, well, maybe your traffic sucks, Chris. And I refused to accept that. And so anyways, I, I ended up discovering that there is a thing called conversion rate optimization. And the purpose of conversion rate optimization is to get beyond gut assumptions about what our website should be. And, and it's really to discover what does our audience need to see in order to convert. Because anytime, um, even if you're having success, anytime you're getting people to your site, there is a certain percentage of your audience, somewhere between 10 and 30% of your visitors that would convert if you gave them the right experience. And so again, no matter how many conversions you're already getting, there is money that you're leaving on the table. I suspected that there was money we were leaving on the table, but I discovered AB testing, um, ran my first AB test, conversion rates went up and, and the rest is, is kind of history at that point. But in terms of like why people should care, you know, it's really about, well, how do you know what people, what's converting people on your website right now? Usually when I ask that question to businesses, I say, well, what is, what is converting people right now on your website? And it's like, well, it all is, everything is. And if that's your answer, you're wrong because it's not, everything's not created equal on your website. There's certain things that your audience really, really cares about. And without doing any kind of conversion rate optimization or A-B testing, it's impossible to know what those things are. So yeah. that, that's my so, short, my short, long answer. Your, your short, long answer. That's, that's quite all right. Uh, and, and the one thing we actually have to be very clear about when it comes to digital marketing is somebody asked me the other day, um, how would you start this project? And I, I started talking about it, right? And they said, that's a really long answer. And I said, well, it is, but like, we're not even done. Like, this is complicated stuff, right? It's not a yeah. tweet. I mean, what whatever fits in a tweet. So I think that's uh, good to remember that in 2009, did we call it digital marketing? I mean, that's, a, that's like stone ages now. <laughs> I don't remember, but I, what, well, the one thing I do remember is I was not part of the marketing team. I was part of the... IT team. And, yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it was still considered like this black magic technical voodoo stuff. So, but the one thing you mentioned, and I'm not saying your team necessarily, everybody was blaming each other, but we do have that still happening a lot today, right? Everybody's like, no, the design looks great. No, the writing is fantastic. What are you talking about? Our links are working great. Our our buttons are the right color. I just read an article about what color buttons <laughs> should be on Content Marketing yes. Institute. I mean, everybody, oh, it's sales. Oh, it's marketing. Oh, it's the product. I mean, how do we get out of this mindset to just keep pointing fingers and not get off and collaborate? So one of the things, this is, this is a great question. This is one of the things that occupies a good amount of my time. Um, and I think that the cure to that is everybody becoming experimenters, everyone becoming marketing scientists, um, where instead of us all assuming what works, we all get curious and say, is it the design? Is it the load speed on our website? Is it the copy? Frankly, none of us know. We all have read these articles. We all have these best practices. And you know what, like I, you know, I, I've run over a thousand AB tests in my career at this point for every best practice. I've seen dozens of results that counter that best practice. 
If the best practice is shorter landing pages are better, I've seen longer landing pages work better. If the best practice is long, longer landing pages, I've seen shorter ones work better. If a best practice is an e-commerce site needs a hero banner, I've seen e-commerce sites where no hero banner works better, etc. I could go on all day about best practices that don't work for certain audiences. And so if that's the case, then we all have to get beyond our gut instinct. And, and to me, the only way to do that is to come in with a scientific frame of mind, which is asking, what is it that our audience cares about? So if we think that we have good content, well, then the question is, what, what is the content that people want? How much content do people want? What kind of content do they want? Where do they want that content? Let's get really specific and let's get beyond labeling our content as good or bad. And let's just get into some of the nitty gritty details of well, what is it specifically? Do I even know why my content is good? Or is it just because I could, you know, I could rattle off a bunch of things. Well, we've got value propositions in there. We've got SEO keywords and, you know, we've got bullet points and it has great scannability. And we use this great page hierarchy. You know, all that stuff is, is just a bunch of crap, really to cover up the fact that I don't have any data that shows what works. And so that to me is, you know, let's just all come together and, and um, see things where they are at now. We have a lot of best practices implemented on our site. And now let's get inquisitive, let's experiment, and let's get some data showing us why or why, or, or, why, or why not our content or design or whatever is good. Well, my content is good because I wrote it, Chris. I don't know, <laughs> no, like the design team, right? There's nothing wrong with the design. And um, so one of my favorite stories when it comes to best practices to this day remains, um, typically blog posts have calls to action at the bottom, uh, whether that's a sign up, whether that's uh, whatever, right? Buy the latest book, et cetera, et cetera. And widely accepted, which is interesting, because if you think people will read your blog post until the end, um, very cute, very cute. That you think <laughs> so I um, and I, I like people to read my stuff to the end. Right. But sometimes it doesn't happen and or skim to the end, I guess. But basically, I put the sign up form for my newsletter on the top of an article. And the website was actually in a contest. And the judges of this contest forgot to lock down their URL. So I saw their comments. <laughs> and one of the comments was, this is so terrible. They put the sign up form on top of the, the article. And it's like, it doesn't go there. It goes at the bottom or in the sidebar. <laughs> and I just thought I'm like, you guys, that is just silly, because I'm getting 5% increase day over day. And it happened for like a month of my email sign up list, right? My email list. Because people just signed up like they didn't have to, but it was right in their face when they got yep. there, especially on mobile. On mobile, it, it didn't truly look like they had to give me their email to sign up. But I can see why some people, when they're just scrolling, they would think they had to. So um, so they did. And it grew. And I'm like, I could care less if some expert thinks that's not a good practice. It's working for me. And at that point, that was my conversion. I was not trying to sell anything at that point. I was really just trying to build the the, the email list. So, are there different um, there, there are different levels of conversion, right? I mean, email. You're trying to sell something. You're trying to get them to do. It's not always just a purchase, or is it? No, I mean, conversion is. To, so, to me, conversion rate optimization is 
how do I get people to take the next step? So if you're a content website, a conversion might be clicking into an article mm -hmm. or clicking on another article after they're finished. You know, if you're a lead gen site, it might be filling out the form or it might be going from the homepage to a product page. So to me, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get more people to progress down through the funnel. Um, so whatever the next step is, and this is when I'm doing trainings for companies on how to do conversion rate optimization. That's one of the first things that I talk to them about is when you're building an AB test, you want your primary success metric to be getting people to the next step in the funnel. Cause it's easy to jump to the bottom of the funnel. If you're a lead gen site, you optimize for leads. If you're an e-commerce site, you optimize for revenue. Um, and you usually want to track those metrics. I mean, those are kind of your sanity metrics, but I mean, if you're running a test on the home page, really what you're trying to do is you're trying to get more people to take action on the website. Um, and so you want to track things like product page views or, um, or content page views or whatever, again, whatever the next logical step in the funnel is that they need to take. Um, let me, I'll, I'll tell you uh, another, another counter best, best practice that I tested recently that was a big eye opener. So it's for an e-commerce website and we were testing on the collections page. And one of the types of tests that I like to run for my clients, I call it an existence test. An existence test is just where you remove stuff on the page. Uh, because what you really want to figure out is, do we even have the right stuff in the first place, right? Like, are we operating under safe assumptions? And so one of the things that I suggested we remove on the collections page as, as one of our test variants was removing the price. Well, the client saw that and, and said, well, we can't remove the price on the collections page. And I said, why not? It's on the product page. And he said, well, because everybody has the price on the collections page. That's just sort of standard. And I said, is it? <laughs> Does it need to be just because everyone else has it? And so we ran the test and lo and behold, conversion rates increased by almost 15% when we removed the price on the collections page. Conversion rates meaning actual purchases. So here's something that was interesting. We got fewer product page visits, but we got more purchases. And so that kind of goes counter to what you would assume. It's like, well, we want to get the maximum amount of product page visits possible. But here's what happened. When we removed the price from the collections page, here's what happened in the customer's mind. Instead of comparing price, they started focusing on the actual product. And when they focused on the product, once they decided to click on a product, they loved the, the look or the idea of the product. And so the price became secondary. Versus when we have uh, the prices listed on a collections page, all customers are doing is they're comparing the prices. So they're either looking for the cheapest product or they're trying to derive what the value of this product is based on the price. Instead of just looking at the product itself and asking myself, does that have value for me, right? So, so now when they get to the product page and they see the price, they don't really have a reference point. They're not comparing it to all the other products they saw. They're just saying, I like this product and oh, it's $15 or oh, it's $500, whatever it is, right? So that's again, another one of those examples of, okay, we need to just kind of drop some of our assumptions and let's just focus on figuring out what is it that people need to see in order to take action.
right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what's interesting too is, I mean, certainly you want more purchases, right? Uh, but you also, it also goes, uh, it can go too far, right? When people make you click too long to see the price. I mean, at some point, I mean, uh, if I love the product, but it's $10,000, maybe I'm not going to buy it yep. today. You yep. know what I mean? So it's that fine line. The other thing that I think I found interesting when you talk about just try things, test things, collaborate, I think a lot of companies, a lot of teams still have problems doing that. And, and I don't, I don't, I hate the term, um, uh, fail fast or whatever, but it's like, you have to evolve. I'll give you an example and we'll put this link in the show notes as well. Um, I am running a special for digital marketing strategy and implementation, right? And I had an ad and the ad directly went to the purchase page, all kinds of clicks, but nobody bought. And so they, I think they didn't buy because they didn't have enough information yet to spend $500. Sure. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I basically, I said that to my partner in crime and I said, I, I'm just going to throw up uh, a landing page, go into more detail and still give you the option to purchase from there. And then at the bottom, I got it like a podcast about the topic, you know, why you need both. Don't just buy strategy, buy the implementation. And then I have a form kind of hidden, but it's at the bottom. And basically it just says, uh, any other questions that I didn't, that we didn't address here, or you need something else, message us. Because you're not gonna buy if you have a question, right? And uh, just did that last night. So I haven't, I don't know what has happened yet. I haven't looked at the numbers, but, um, but it's okay to not be perfect on the first rollout or, or, or do you have to be? No way. I mean, in fact, there, there is no perfect rollout. <laughs> you know, like I said, there's, <laughs> there is always room for improvement. And, and part of it is audience behavior. It's constantly shifting. I mean, that's one thing we've definitely all seen across the boards this year with COVID is Consumer behavior, whether you're whether you are an e-com site, whether you're a lead gen site, whether you're a content site, consumer behavior has shifted dramatically this year. And so it's not so much about is my customer's behavior shifting or have I gotten my website right yet? The real question is, what has changed in the last three to six months that I'm not aware of? Let's be constantly learning, let's be constantly evolving. And, and to me, one of the best ways to do that is, is through testing. And so I actually want to comment on your example here of your landing page. So my experience is usually um, when, when you're driving someone to a landing page and you're not getting as high of conversion rates as you would like, usually that suggests to me that we're not doing a good enough job highlighting the value propositions. So... What I don't mean is I don't mean that you don't have value propositions. And I also don't mean that you don't have good value propositions. Usually, uh, in my experience, it's that we're not highlighting the right value propositions in the right places on the page. So, you know, in my mind, where I would first be going on your page is what are the value propositions that we're highlighting when they first get to this page? People need a compelling hook. And especially if we are asking them to consume a bunch of content that explains the the offering, um, they need a hook at the beginning that is compelling enough to motivate them to read all the content. Because reading is a significant cost for for a potential customer. It takes a lot of time. It's mentally strenuous. And so they're investing a lot to read our copy. And so, uh, so if I was you, I would probably start testing 
what are, what are the value propositions that I list at the top of my page? And I would test, um, you know, having maybe a, a, a version that is pain point focused on like, what is their pain? I would have one that's maybe benefits focused. That's like, what are we going to give them and how is this going to benefit them? Uh, and then potentially I'd have one that is um, questions focused. So something that is spurring them to ask questions that maybe they either don't know that they have uh, or want answers to, right? Like dangling a, a sort of carrot. So, I mean, th that's just another thought on top of, I, I love the idea of kind of asking if they have questions and asking them to reach out. I also think, especially when you're talking about an offering that is more than $50, people need to see a tremendous amount of value. Um, and, and usually you already have the value. It's just figuring out how you best highlight that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I didn't know the, the right number and I'm sure there's other best practice articles that tell us it's more or less than $50, but it is good to, to have that kind of in mind. So, you know, if I'm selling something for 500 bucks, they probably need a little bit more than, than the, well, and let me let me give you an example. So I've got I've got a client that sells high end toys. So these are like their minimum price point is like three hundred and fifty dollars, and it goes up to like eight hundred dollars for uh, for toys. Really expensive, right? I mean, in in comparison to other toys in the industry, they are definitely one of the most premier type of toys that you can buy. Um, we ran a test on on their on one of their landing pages that was trying to sell the product. Um, and we ran a test where, where we, again, similar to what I'm suggesting here, what, what we were testing is what value propositions should we highlight at the top of the page? And so we had five different variations of this page. We had one version where we highlighted free returns and free shipping up at the top. We had one variation where we highlighted the product description up at the top. So like, you know, it's like product title, price, and then description. We had another variation where we moved up, um, you know, this was a STEM toy that's like, you know, a sensory, you know, it, it's a, um, it helps build sensory skills for kids. We moved that content up to the top. We had another one where we put a review up at the top. Anyways, we had all these different variations where we were just trying to focus on isolating one particular type of content uh, up at the top of the page. Now, this was all content that already existed on the page. We were just taking it from lower on the page and we were moving it up to the top. And by, by moving this like STEM toy content up to the top of the page, we almost doubled the number of purchases. I mean, it was a ridiculously insane response from the audience. Now, this is content that was already on the page. It already existed. But the fact that the audience responded so dramatically when we moved it up higher on the page told us that, okay, you know what? The stuff that we put first, this is the hook. If they don't see it up at the, up at the top, they, might, they either might never see it or by the time they get down there, they're already so fatigued from reading content that doesn't have the emotional impact that it has when it's the first thing that they see. And so, you know, again, like just – the order that you display content in makes a huge, huge impact on audience behavior. Yeah, what's inter it's, an, it's another example, Chris, on um, that it's not always about creating new things. It's about updating the stuff you already have 
uh, and you know, one of my, my favorite things as a content creator, which is crazy to admit today, because 15 years ago, I would have said this is crazy to even think about, is I go into on my blog, authenticstorytelling.net, if I'm writing about something new, or I'm trying to rank for a new keyword, I look what content I already have. And if the content I already have has been around for, I don't know, a couple of years, three years, four years, and it hasn't converted anybody or it doesn't even get read, I, I trash it or I update it or I use pieces of it, right? Um, and that's back in the day as a journalist, that's something we, of course, would have never done. Oh, yeah. Um, how about, you know what I mean? Yep. So uh, how about A-B testing? How do you, what, what are the tools to get started? Uh, what would you recommend that people use to test? I mean, there's certainly very simple ways to do it, right? You just have two separate landing pages. Would you recommend that or what tools should people uh, use? It, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of good free tools that people can use uh, for testing. I, I don't suggest uh, just creating two different landing pages and sending traffic to each of them because you're you're get different audiences to those pages. So for example, because I, I, I talked to a lot of clients that try this where they're like, Oh no, 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 this, this uh, landing page, this landing page performed better when we did the split test. And I said, well, what was the split test? Oh, we had this ad that was running to this landing page and this ad that was running to this landing page. Well, as soon as we look at the ads, first of all, the messaging is different on the ads. Right. And so they're, they're different ads, meaning it's going to resonate for different customers. So you're going to get different customers to each of those landing pages. You also have different audiences. Even if you've, even if you have specified the same audience, just by virtue of the fact that the, that the ad is different, you're going to get different people to those pages. So right away, that's not a good, that's not an AB test. An A-B test needs to keep all other things the same other than the landing page experience itself. And so you need to use a split testing tool. So if you use a lot of landing pages, there's tons of landing page split testing tools out there. One of my favorites is Unbounce. I love Unbounce. It, you can create your landing pages in there. You can create a split test inside of Unbounce and you can, you know, you can split the traffic um, inside of there. That's a fine tool to do landing page testing. My go-to tool for A-B testing is Google Optimize. It's a free tool that Google provides. Uh, it ties right in with Google Analytics. And so if you have Google Analytics on the site, it's a super easy implementation. Um, and it spits out all the reports through Google Analytics. And so you get a lot of good uh, data integrity there. Um, and again, it's free. So there's very low barrier to entry. Um, so Google Optimize is, like I said, my go-to tool. And even if you have two separate URLs, you can do like a, a split redirect test through Google Optimize. So you just paste in the two URLs and then it just takes everybody that goes to your normal landing page and it will split half of them out and send them to your new landing page. So that way you have the same audience that is being distributed equally between those two landing pages. Um, so those are kind of, those are some of my go-to tools. I mean, if you have like pop-up offers that you're using, if you have, um, uh, you know, email, you should, you should be split testing everywhere. And most uh, platforms, if it's an email platform or if it's a pop-up platform, there's a great pop-up platform called Optin Monster that allows you to build A-B tests inside of there as well most of them will have some kind of A-B testing functionality in them. And so I recommend people utilizing that functionality instead of trying to like manually create their own split tests. 
And Google Optimize, guys, it is so easy. I'm literally, I mean, Chris has been talking for, I don't know, two and a half minutes roughly, and I'm just uh, linking it to my Google Analytics right here, setting up a, a, a A-B test on a landing page. So um, not quite done, but two and a half minutes. Oh, you can set up a test within uh, a, you, you can have a half an hour. You can get an A-B test set up within a half an hour for sure. Yeah. Unbelievable how easy how easy that is today. How about uh, A/B testing? And I and you know you can do so in Google Optimize, you can do A/B testing, personalization, other things. Um, what are your opinions on the future of A/B testing? And I, I no argument here at all that today we have to do it. But but let's say ten years down the road, twenty years down the road, when everything is truly personalized. I mean, do we still need A/B testing or do these machines, these websites know us so well, they'll just, if I'm more likely to click on the blue button than the red one, and you prefer the red one, you get the red one, I get the blue one, right? Because yeah. they know that about us. Are we ever going to get to that kind of state or am I just dreaming? Oh, it's definitely a up? possibility. Um, the, the challenge that we have right now with any of these artificial intelligence types of tools for A-B testing is in creating the variables. And so you can, you know, you could populate a tool with like, you know, a thousand different variables and say, test the button color and the button text and test the um, hero banner placement and size and text and all these things. The challenge is in creating these, there, there has to be a creative aspect. Um, this is one of the things that I do most frequently for my clients is uh, when, when clients of mine have done A-B testing in the past. Uh, and I go in and audit the tests that they've run, most often here's what I see. I see a bunch of A-B tests and I go in and it's literally A versus B. Or in other words, it's my site against some idea that I have. Now that's definitely better than not testing at all. But usually when I start asking, why did you run this test? Why did you run this test? Why did you run this test? It's just like some good idea that I had. It's like, well, I saw on Amazon that they do this, and so I wanted to try it. The problem with that is there's not really a strategy behind that idea, right? Like there's not, um, there's not a question that you're trying to answer other than, is my idea a good one? And so, and this is the thing that the tools can't do right now is the tools can't come up with a strategy of like, what are we trying to really learn about our customers? Because A-B testing applies to a lot of places other than just the website. It's like, well, what, is, what are the most critical things for me to learn about my audience? I might wanna know what content is important. Because if I know what content is important, then I know what to highlight in my ads, and I know what to highlight on my blog posts. I know what kind of content to write more of for blog posts. Uh, but if I have an automated tool that starts out by testing the colors of my buttons, I might not get any data back on my content forever. I mean, you know, especially if I have a limited amount of traffic, uh, I might not, the tool might not get to testing uh, my content till next year because they're just so busy running other types of tests. And so there's just, there's a strategy element and then there's the input element or in other words, um, you know, I mentioned a lot of my clients only run one test variation at a time and that's problematic because you're not thinking about the full range of possibilities here. You know, when I, when I mentioned testing that toy company's product page, 
we didn't just say, hey, let's, I think that testimonials will work best on the top of the page. So let's run a variation where we test the testimonials. Because if that was the test that we had run, it would have failed. But the test that we were running was, we were asking what content do people want? And so now I have to think of, and I have to come up with creatively, what are the things that we could put there? Well, there's an unlimited number of possibilities of things that we could put in that content section, right? Mm -hmm. We could have nothing, we could have a picture. If we have a picture, we could have 50,000 different pictures that we put there, right? We could have a testimonial and there's 50,000 different lengths of testimonials that we could put there. We could put content, but again, I have a ton of content on this site. And so what content do I choose to put there? Well, you could use a tool that tests every one of those variables and every one of those possibilities, um, but you're going to end up with too many variables. You're going to end up with too many variations. So you have to be strategic about which variations you test. And so that's where, again, some of this like human input comes in. Now, I'm not saying that that will always be the case. I think that AI and machine learning could theoretically get to the point where they become extremely smart. Uh, but they're not there right now, and we don't see them getting there anytime in the foreseeable future. And so for now, we need that human element to be strategic, to think of what are the variables that we could put here? What are the things that we think people might want to see? What are the things that we want to learn? And then let's make sure that all the tests that we run are helping us learn these meaningful, actionable insights. You know, because when people test things right off the bat, like button color, I will often ask them, why, what did you learn from testing the button color? You didn't really learn anything. And I mean, now it's not a bad test. There are, there are certainly times where testing the color of the button has a, an incredibly meaningful conversion impact. But if that's where you start, that usually suggests you have a lack of strategy because what you actually want to start with is something like, what call to action do people want? And what are the things that matter with the call to action? There are a variety of things you could test with call to action. Where is it positioned on the page? What does it say? What does it do when you click on it? What color is it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like those, there, there's at least four or five different variables in there. And if you start with color, it's like, well, how do you know that color matters more than the position of the call to action? How do you know that color matters more than the destination of, or, or the uh, action that takes place when they click on it? Um, you don't know any of those things. And so if you start with color, you're making a lot of assumptions um, and you're not really learning that color is meaningful unless you have also tested some of these other things with it. Yeah, so the, uh, the answer is why are they testing the button color is because- Exactly. Where somebody well, and you know what? <laughs> it's not a terrible place button to start. I always tell my clients, it's better that you do some a crappy test than no test at all. Um, and I know other CRO people will disagree with me on that. But like, I think that it's, if you don't know what to test, it's fine to just start somewhere. Everyone has to start there. Mm -hmm. But it's better if you have some kind of a strategy that you're following. And that strategy can help you become more deliberate, more purposeful around why I'm testing something and what I'm going to learn from that test. Right, absolutely. F very good, great discussion, great insights. Uh, we were joined today by Chris Daly. Um, check him out, smart-cro.com.
Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review The Business Storytelling Show on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then. Thank you.